Alhamdulillah. <laughs> وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له ملك وله الحمد وإليه تقلب الأمور وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا وحبيبنا محمد عبده ورسوله أرسله بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا بين يدي الساعة من يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز ومن يعصهما فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا اللهم صل وسلم وبارك عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد فيا أيها الإخوة المؤمنون سلام الله تعالى عليكم ورحمته وبركاته أخرج البخاري عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال فيما يرويه عن ربه جل وعلا من آذى لي وليا فقد آذنته بالحرب ولا يتقرب إلي عبدي بشيء أحب إلي مما افترضته عليه ثم لا يزال يتقرب إلي بالنوافل حتى أحبه فإذا أحببته كنت سمعه الذي يسمع به وبصره الذي يبصر به ويده التي يبطش بها ورجله التي يمشي عليها ولئن استعاب بي لأعيذنه ولئن استنصرني لأنصرنه in the famous Bukhari hadith narrated by Abu Hurairah the Holy Prophet says with the words of his Lord so this is a hadith Qudsi so Allah himself is speaking whoever harms a wali of mine I declare war upon him and my slave draws near to me with nothing more beloved to me than that which I have made obligatory upon him and then my slave continues to draw near to me with optional acts, nawafil, until I love him. And when I love him, I become the ear with which he hears, and the eye with which he sees, and the hand with which he smites, and the foot with which he walks. And if he seeks my protection, I will surely grant him my protection. And if he seeks my victory, I will surely grant him the victory. As you know, this is one of the great hadiths of Islam. It has its own name. It is the Hadith al-Nawafil, the Hadith of the Nawafil or the optional supererogatory acts of devotion. And it's telling us something fundamental. The ulama give these names to a small number of Hadiths because they have something in them that is essential to the deen, of the usul, the roots, not of the furor, the branches. So what is the root of our religion that is being expounded, that is being taught to us by our Lord himself in this beautiful Hadith? <laughs> See how he begins it. He begins it by grabbing our attention, by talking about enmity and war. That's the thing that we most fear. And what do we fear more than human war? Fear of war from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who could stand against that? So he says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
Whoever harms a wali of mine, I declare war on him. So that it's announcing that this hadith is going to be about a particular principle. The principle of wilaya, the principle of being a wali. And do we next get a technical definition of what exactly that means? We don't. Because the Qur'an and the hadith, and these ahadith qudsiyah particularly, speak to the heart, speak to the deeper aspect of human intuition, speak to that core of us, the sirr in the qalb, which is the center of our religious life. We're not going to get some technical theological definition here. Instead, we're told how to get there and what it might be like and what are the consequences in practice. So see how the hadith goes on. It seems to change direction in a surprising way. It says, my slave draws near to me with nothing more beloved to me than that which I have made obligatory on him. Begins again with uh, an attractive principle. It started with fear, who wants Allah's war, and then it talks about love, another thing that all human beings are going to be magnetized by. But it's not love for ourselves. In this hadith, Allah is saying that his love is for those things which he has made obligatory upon us. When we begin in the path of religion, we ourselves may be very far from being lovable. That's why we don't say in our religion, Allah loves everybody. Allah loves that which is true and good and beautiful. And he loves that which we are called to become. And he loves our origin in the nature of Adam, which is ahsini taqweem, but he doesn't love us in all of our forgetfulness and our sinfulness and our envy and all of the stuff that we do, it is not possible for the Supreme Being to love imperfection. But he loves what we are called to be. And at this beginning of our path, and this is a journey that the Hadith is telling us about, he has said that he loves the obligations. What is it about us in our religious life that is really most beautiful? When are we in the state truly of Khilafah and Adamiyah? It is when we are following these obligations. It is when we are sajid. It is when we are following the sunnah, and particularly the obligatory things, the obligatory five pillars and the other obligations. Those are the aspects of our life that Allah loves, and the other stuff, not so much or not at all. So this language that the hadith uses, which is of drawing near, yataqarrab, it specifically says this. This is about a journey, not about a state. I'm a believer or I'm not a believer, but the, but the journey of religion is a journey. It is suluk, wayfaring spiritual traveling. Nobody ever stands still. In religion, if you don't constantly make an effort, it'll be like trying to ride a bicycle on the street in Cambridge, and if you're not pushing, the bicycle will fall over. Constantly we're required, in order to persevere with this journey, to make an effort. And the first effort is to make sure we get those obligations right. Do we really know the obligatory beliefs? Do we really know how to do the obligations of prayer and fasting? Before we go on to think about more fancy stuff, have we got the foundations correct? As the ulama say, They never reached the heights because they neglected the foundations. And we should always think carefully and constantly about, for instance, all of these thousands of prayers that inshallah it will be our nasib to say during our lives. Are we sure that we've got them right? Are we sure that we've got the basic rules of wudu right? What is more ridiculous than somebody leaving out one of the arkan, basic obligations, when it might take him only a couple of seconds, and he repeats that defective ibadah for the rest of his days. So let's make sure that we get these for all right. Because it is those things that are the aspect of our lives as lowly beginners, beginners that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. At least in those situations where we are outwardly at least in a state of obedience, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that aspect of us. So you can see that the hadith is linking 
this journey, this suluk, this taqarrub, this literally drawing near, that's what the hadith is speaking of, drawing near to the Creator, is linking it to the principle of the divine love. And in our theology, this is always very important. How can we fly our finite selves to the pleasure of the infinite being? What can we do that can satisfy the perfection of an infinite being? Well, not very much. Even the obligations that we do are probably done inadequately. We may be outwardly compliant. Who knows where we are inwardly? Who knows what our niya is? Who knows what our khudur is? Who knows what we're really thinking about during these outward forms? But out of his love, because at least we have the outward manifestation of this, that is an aspect of us that he truly loves. And in that state, we should be able to begin to find our peace, which is what we all crave. So there's the principle of love in this hadith, and there's this principle of taqarrub, drawing near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the hadith goes on. It's not just about stopping with the obligations, and Allah loves that part of us. No, it's about progressing. Thumma, the Arabic then says. Then, لَا يَزَالُ يَتَقَرَّبُ إِلَيَّ بِالنَّوَافِلْ حَتَّى أُحِبَّهُ My slave continues to draw near to me with optional acts until I love him. Now it becomes serious, more serious. It's not those outward acts that he loves of the various things that are existent in our lives. It's ourselves. We can be loved by the Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala despite our maggot-like mortality, despite the eminent weakness of who we are and how we think and everything that we do, He can actually love us. And that is from His, his, his karam, His generosity, His uh, magnificent mercy that, that He loves us. But that doesn't just come without an effort. What is required is these nawafid, these optional acts. Beyond their obligations, there must be something more. Somebody who does the outward fundamentals with ikhlas, inshallah, has the key to paradise. But there's more to it than that. There are so many additional things. And the additional things include deepening and perfecting the outward acts, as well as learning about additional acts. As well as learning about, well, I could fast on Ashura. You could think about, well, I could fast in Ramadan, but better. I could really stop lying. I could really stop being distracted. I could really stop all of the stuff that we do that makes the fast a kind of outward thing, but not always an inward flowing reality. So the nawafid don't just mean the extra prayers and the extra fast and the umrah and those other things. It means deepening what we already have. And if we do that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making us this extraordinary promise. Hatta or hebba. Whatever the world might think of us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love us if we are in that situation. And that's an extraordinary thing. Out of all the orders of creation, Adam salam, is singled out for this unique divine love. Right at the beginning of the human story, the angels even were commanded to bow down to him. Not to Mount Everest, not to the Andromeda galaxy, not to space and time itself, but to Adam salam, because of the greatness of the divine love for his creature, for his Safin. So this title, the title, the prophetic title of Satan, Adam salam, is the chosen. And people say, I can understand Ibrahim salam, being Khalilullah, and Musa salam, being Kalimullah, and Sayyidina Muhammad salam, being Habibullah, yes, but Safiullah, chosen when he was the only one, not much of a choice. Chosen indeed over all the other elements of creation, over the angelic realms, over the rocks, over the great rivers, over the mighty seas, 
Adam السلام, is the one to whom even the angels in their perfection, in their infallibility are commanded to bow down. That is the extent of Allah's love for his greatest summit of creation. Not just the team that Iblis saw, but the luminosity of the Ruh which has been breathed into Bani Adam, which make us something unusual and unique in creation. Out of all of those countless tens of millions of species, and on all of those other planets that they can just dimly glimpse through telescopes, the only entity that we really know is the whole wide cosmos that can actually think, that can be ethical, that can make meaningful choices, is our weak selves, Bani Adam. And this is the meaning of the Hamla al-Amana. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala offer this Amana to the heavens and the earth, wal-jibal, fa'abayna an yahmilnaha. And they refused to carry it, fa'afthaqna minha, and they were afraid of it. Fa'hamalaha al-insan. And he caused man to carry this amana. They're carrying this, this knowledge, this capacity to choose, this capacity to say, la ilaha illallah, volitionally, rather than karham, compelled, but volitionally. And then what do we do? Innahu kana zaluman jahula. It's the end of that ayah, a sad ending. He who has proved a tyrant and a fool. We carry this amana. We have the capacity to be these luminous beings with this miraculous capacity to see, to understand, to name, to choose, to be ethical, to be better than anything else. But we choose the other stuff. This is Asfala Sefilin. We're supposed to be in the best of forms. But human beings, when they're not in the best of forms, can be the worst of the worst. What is more impressive in the world than the real wali? who is in complete outward and inward conformity and obedience and love with his creator, subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing finer. What is lower in the world than the one who is cheating and lying and defrauding people and being brutal? What is worse? Anything in the animal kingdom worse than that tyrant? No. Anything in the natural world lower than that tyrant? Anything in the wide universe that we know of that's more disgusting than Fir'aun and Haman? No. Human beings will say, no. So we can follow Musa, we can follow Fir'aun. There is the possibility of this Najdain. We've guided him to the two paths. And everybody has that choice. Those two paths are in front of us, not just once or twice in a lifetime, but at every moment. There is no conscious waking moment in our lives when there isn't the right thing to do, which is there, and a lot of wrong things, which we could also do in that situation. And this is what it means by the constancy. This suluk is constant. This iqtiraq, this becoming closer to our Lord and his favor, is a constant effort. Just like riding your bike down King's Parade, you have to keep going or you'll fall off. Similarly, the constant effort in order to avoid the lower possibilities, the gravitational force that pulls us down to egotism, to vice, to stupidity, to self-pity, to the ugly things that human beings are good at. And then Allah in his grace can raise us up until we get this amazing outcome. Hatta until I love him. If you have that, even though in the madhab of the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah we generally say that the wali doesn't know that he's a wali. And if he sees amazing things happening to him and Allah's favor, he says, I'm afraid, akhsha an yakuna makran. This is Ibrahim ben Adham, concerning whom most, the most amazing things happen. And people came to him from east and west for his prayers. And a luminous individual who'd given up his kingdom just for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yeah, whenever something amazing happened to him and a sign of the divine favor, he would look frightened and say, I'm afraid this is some divine ruse. That's the brokenness and the beauty of the one who is truly close to Allah. He is the humblest of people. Even though Allah and his angels know 
that he is the best of people. And this is one of the secrets of religion, and one of the reasons for the beauty of those people. So this divine love, we may not know it. We may possibly see signs and say, Alhamdulillah, Allah is being generous to us. But generally, as we move on this path of ihtirab and suluk, drawing closer to our Lord, the more we kind of shrink in our awareness of ourselves. Fir'aun is convinced that he is Rabbukum al-A'la, and your greatest Lord. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam is the humble refugee and outcast. That's the difference. The tyrant soul is the inflated soul of the high net worth individual, the billionaire, the one with the executive yacht who really thinks that the world exists to serve him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his grace and his love more likely to be with the weak and the poor and the despised and the refugees and the poor taxi drivers, whoever they are, those are the people who truly are in this state of muhabba and whom Allah loves. Which is why the Holy Prophet prays to his Lord to be resurrected amongst the poor. Not amongst even grandiose, pious Islamic bankers, no, amongst the poor. Oh Allah, resurrect me in the company of the destitute. Their egos are humbled, but their hearts can be luminous. But the hadith doesn't stop here. With the same hadith in the work, it doesn't stop. It goes on. And then tells us something even more shattering. And something that we need to think about carefully, lest we misunderstand. It's a sound hadith, it's from Bukhari. There's no problems about whether this is right. But how is it right? When I love him, Allah says, I become the ear with which he hears, and the eye with which he sees, and the foot with which he walks, and the hand with which he smites. Well, obviously, every scholar of Islam has always said, don't take that ala zahiri. Don't take that literally. Don't think that your hand is God's hand in any literal sense. No. That's a way of people we call the hashwiya. In medieval Islam, there was a sect of people who said, the faithful way of reading the Qur'an and the Sunnah is to interpret everything in the most literal possible way. So Allah actually has some kind of physical form and he sits on something that's like, no, this is not the way of the Ahlul Sunnah al Jama'ah. Obviously, if you use the Hashmir method for a hadith like this, then you're going to get into all kinds of strange difficulties and it won't be Tawheed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot inhere in anything physical because he is infinite and cannot have finite extension. He cannot have a body. This was the error of the Christians with their incarnation. They thought the infinity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can somehow be squeezed and crunched into the confines of a physical body of a first century Palestinian Jew. And that is, is, is muhal. It doesn't work. So we are the furthest of people from khulul and the furthest of people from ittihad. We have to interpret this according to a qanun, according to a criterion that saves the principle of, of tawheed. And some people can go astray in this, but it's important. So what does it mean? Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, in his great commentary, the greatest commentaries of, of commentaries on Bukhari, Fath al-Bari, has a long discussion on this. And he says, some of the ulama mean, say that when Allah says, he becomes the eye with which you see, he means you only see the things that he has commanded you to see. And when he becomes the foot with which you walk, that means you only go to the things that is commanded you to go to. And that's one interpretation. It's a perfectly valid one. There are others which, which are about obedience. That is to say, you only use these jawarik, these outward faculties that you have, in obedience to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're conforming, muwafaqa, to the divine command. Others will say 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is in his qualities, of course, the ground of all being in creation. Why are the angels bowing down to the Hazrat Adam alayhi salam? Not because of his team, not because of his Adamiyah, his humanity as such, but because of the sirah that is there. There is something noble about the perfected human being. There is something noble about the one who Allah truly loves, which means that it is more than a question of just guidance. But looking at that person can bring you to a higher spiritual state. How is that possible? We know that the Sahaba used to go just to look at the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is the hadith of, 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 uh, of, of Umm Warakah. They used to go just to look at him, as if just to look at him was an ibadah. There is something in the quality of the perfected human being that is a reminder. How does this work? Well, the hadith is saying precisely this, but the hadith then goes on to say, I'd speak about the consequences. Not to engage in dangerous metaphysical speculation, but to talk about the consequences. If he seeks my protection, I will give him my protection. If he seeks victory from me, I will give him my victory. And this is how the early Muslims were with their amazing victories, inwardly, outwardly, spiritual, military, economic, everything. That amazing civilization they produced, east and west, almost overnight, was because they were in this state of Adamiyah. Because of their absolute obodiyah, their slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in them, there manifested something of the agency of the divine intention. They were in a state of muwafaqah. So to take it back to the point with which we began, and this deep mystery, what is it for somebody to be in this state of iqtirab, to be close, to receive the divine love? What exactly is that all about? We're not allowed to misunderstand it, but the hadith is saying that it's important. What does it mean to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Again, it doesn't mean geographical closeness or temporal closeness. It means something deeper. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described himself as al-qareeb. <laughs> if my slaves ask concerning me, I am near. <laughs> I respond to the prayer of the one who makes supplication when he calls upon me. He is al-qareeb. So this iqtirab, which the hadith speaks, means going close to the one who is already qareeb. He is never mentioned as al-ba'id in the Qur'an and the hadith. No, he is always close, but we are ba'id. We are really far. Because of the lower shaitanic self within ourselves that likes to see the world as just being a bunch of things causing other things and neglects the divine reality that is propelling absolutely everything. The divine names that never cease to be in action in every single moment, in every single movement of every atom in creation. There is the divine agency. That is Al-Qarib, close. Closer to you than your jugular vein. Al-Qarib. So this iqtirab, getting close to Al-Qarib, so that whatever one does is, as it were, just a reflection of Adam's status as Allah's Khalifa on the earth. So that one acts simply in accordance with the divine command acts as an agent of the divine uh, instruction on earth. That extraordinary thing, that place which is the recipient of the divine mahabba, is what the hadith is referring to as al-wali. There's a lot of talk in Muslim cultures about the wali. We know that it's present in, in the hadith and it's present in this hadith. What exactly does it mean? Waliya in Arabic means really to be close. It's quite close to the idea of qarib. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses it with reference to himself. Allah is the wali of those who have iman. So it's an interesting divine name 
like some of the others, like Latif, like Rahim, that can refer, can be used by human beings as well as by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in this context, the wali, one who is the divine friend, the one who is the divine patron, the one who yetawallas salihin, the one who takes responsibility for and is the patron of and lovingly guides and helps and protects the salihin, that is the wali. That is what it means when we refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as al-wali. Waliyun ladina amanu. But when it refers to a human being, what can it mean? What ought it to mean? Well, the ulama here say closeness, of course. Through this process of iqtirab, of drawing close, one is in proximity to the divine. In whatever mysterious and ineffable and difficult way we may conceptualize that, because he is not in a place. But closeness. Closeness to his love. Closeness to his obedience. Closeness to conformity to his commands. Closeness to the sakina to the peace which is in his presence, this is what it means. And waliya also in Arabic has the sense of to be consecutive. So uh, it is said, The wali, you want to know who the wali is, it's the one whose actions succeed one another uninterruptedly in conformity with the sunnah. This is how Imam al-Qushayri defines it. Who is the wali? Never mind uh, elaborate definitions of some metaphysical something. Look at the practice. Hmm? By their fruits you shall know them. Who is the wali in Islam? It is the one, according to Imam Qushayri in his Risala, whose actions succeed one another without anything else interrupting them in conformity. Conformity to the divine command. And Abu Yazid al-Bistami, one of the great mysterious uh, early Muslims who is himself revered as a great wali, was told once, in this masjid there is a wali. Now any Muslim knows that if you hear of such a person, and it's true, you want to get near him because he can pray for you and his prayers are more likely to be answered than your own. So whenever Muslims travel to a new institution or a new town or a new country, they want to know who is a wali because their presence is beneficial. Here, somebody who's completely inwardly as well as outwardly in conformity with the kitab and the sunnah. So he's told there's a wali in that masjid. So he goes to the masjid and there's this man who's doing his ibadah. And at the end of his ibadah, the man gets up and Bayezid is watching. And the man makes a disgusting sound with his throat. And the kind of noise that you hear sometimes often and mysteriously when people are making wudu' in the mosque and making amazing sounds with their throats. So he's doing it in the masjid. And Abu Yazid doesn't speak to him and comes out. And he says, Rajulan, Rajulun lisa ma'munan ala adabin min aalada bishariya. Kayfi yakuna aminan ala sir min asrarillah. Somebody who does not look after one of the courtesies of the sharia, how can he be looking after some of the secrets of Allah in creation? Not possible. Now, this is fundamental. This is the essential criteria. If you want to know who is really a wali, and you don't want to read a million texts of metaphysical speculation that probably don't get to the heart of it and may confuse you if you're not a super scholar, just see, first of all, is that person in conformity with the Qur'an and the Sunnah? And secondly, does the company of that person make you remember Allah and feel closer to your Lord? Is his proximity or her proximity something that increases your desire for ibadah, that increases your love for human beings, that increases your humility? that makes you want to go out and help people and see the best in people. This is the criterion that we offer in Islam. Conformity, muafaqa, to the kitab and the sunnah, because anything else is not Islamic, but also this proximity that comes about from this ikhtirab. 
in this mysterious state where the wali is seeing with eyes that are, as it were, you know, the eyes that Allah is seeing with. Whatever that can mean, however we conceptualize it, Ibn Hajar offers 17 different explanations for this that are common amongst the ulama. Whatever that might mean, not given to us to know, but we respect them. Uh, the key criterion is conformity to the kitab and the sunnah, and that qurb has to be perceived by our souls so that in the company of those people we are healed and improved and made upright insha'Allah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase the number of true awliya and this ummah and make us their followers and help us to seek them out and insha'Allah by them to grant true rather than false uh, victory and protection to this ummah in these difficult times insha'Allah. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah adhi wa lakum wa li sa'ihil muslimin innahu huwa al-qafur al-rahim. الحمد لله رب العالمين ولي المتقين نكال الظالمين أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الملك الحق المبين محمد رسول الله صادق الوعد الأمين أصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله فإنه خير الزاد وإياكم ومحتثات الأمور فكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار واعلموا أن الله قد أمركم بأمر عظيم أمركم بالصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين فقال جل ثناؤه إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم إنا نسألك رضاك والأمن ونعوذ بك من سخطك والنار ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وحب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب وافق الله مولاة أمور المسلمين إلى العمل بكتاب الله وصنة سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة